Well, take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We are more than halfway. We are on the sixth commandment today, and that is verse 13. You shall not murder, says the New King James, or as we said last week, the most accurate translation is, you shall not commit homicide. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to look closely into your perfect law of liberty this morning and to continue in it, to stay in the law, not to go outside the law. Father, give us the grace to know that we are forgiven and therefore the, the guts, the eyes that would let us see the bright, resplendent, perfect, stainless perfection of your law. Help us to look at it without flinching, to seek forgiveness where we need forgiveness for breaking this command. And then, Father, let us go from here as people who are better at preserving life and who do not sin against life in the ways that we have become habituated to sin against it. Father, give us the grace to keep your statutes with thankfulness and proper awe. Help me to speak boldly and powerfully about your perfect law today and help us all to listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw last week what the commandment requires, which is to preserve life. The command, do not commit homicide, tells us to keep ourselves and others alive with all lawful endeavors. Not all possible endeavors, not any and every endeavor, but any lawful endeavor. Anything that can be done consistent with the other nine commands is something that should be done to preserve human life. Today we're going to talk about what the commandment forbids. The commandment forbids homicide, and that is criminal homicide, and non-criminal homicide. We'll talk about both of those, as well as some kind of voluntary choice or pursuit of death, or a passive acceptance of death through faulty actions. As we'll see, it's okay to accept death when death is a byproduct of a righteous action. It's not okay to just passively accept, well, this action is faulty and it might kill me, but I really don't care. You're required to care. That's what the commandment says when it says, you shall not commit homicide. <coughs> so then we'll, we'll conclude it by saying, what does the sixth commandment not say? It doesn't say that every life is infinitely valuable. It doesn't say that war, self-defense, and the death penalty are always evil. It doesn't say that Jesus' death was an act of cosmic child abuse or some kind of murder on a galactic scale. Far, far from it. But let's talk first about what the commandment says. It says, do not commit homicide. Do not kill another human being. Now, the criminal laws of our state break this down into three major categories. Homicide is, first of all, involuntary manslaughter. Now, that Sounds bad in two giant words, involuntary manslaughter, but it just means that you accidentally, through negligence, 
killed someone. You were working on a ladder and you dropped a heavy tool onto the person below and killed him. Now that can still be the subject of a criminal investigation and a criminal charge because you know you could have secured your tool to the ladder. You should have warned the person under you not to be under you. There's a number of things in this regard where you sinned against life by failing to take the necessary and proper precautions. Not all accidental deaths are involuntary manslaughter. But accidental deaths that were easily preventable through basic safety precautions rise to the level of involuntary manslaughter. So the commandment is telling us, don't do this. Worse than involuntary manslaughter is the crime of passion, voluntary manslaughter. I didn't have anything against the guy, but when I saw him hit his horse that way, it just set off something in my brain and I pulled out my six-shooter and killed him before I could think what I was doing. Now, I chose to do it. It was a voluntary action. But it was not a premeditated action. It was an action taken on the spur of the moment. Now, we'll talk about suicide in a moment, but astonishingly, much suicide actually falls under this category. Suicide can be a crime of passion. And in interviews done with Chinese women who had attempted suicide, some astonishing proportion of them said they had been thinking about it for less than a minute before they made that suicide attempt. Voluntary manslaughter, it is a crime and it is a sin. It is a violation of this command against homicide. To let your passions run away with you and kill someone on the spur of the moment. The third, the worst kind of homicide in our criminal system is first-degree murder, so-called because it is with malice, a forethought, or a premeditated long continuance in the plan and purpose of killing this particular individual. And then first-degree murder reaches its apotheosis in what we call genocide, the attempt to wipe out an entire family or race or group of individuals based on some perceived characteristic that unites them. And that is first-degree murder in the most egregious form. The commandment forbids all of these. Now, we're aware of that, and we're aware that the laws of our state forbid these things as well. There's also non-criminal ways to commit homicide, and the first of these is suicide, the killing of oneself. Now, if you look at the suicide map of the United States, you see that there's states that stand out immediately as having the highest suicide rate. Virtually all of those states are in the Mountain West. The state with the worst suicide rate is Montana, 28.6 suicides per 100,000 people. Number two is Alaska. Wyoming is number three out of the 50 states for most suicides each year. This is a sin against the command. You shall not commit homicide, including on yourself. You didn't give yourself life. You do not have the right to take away your own life. Uh, some things that have been found about suicide is that it's more common in rural areas than in cities. 
which is why the Mountain West is so high in suicides. That's part of it. And it's more common among people who have a substance abuse problem, and especially drunkenness is closely related to suicide. The unemployed, as well, are over twice as likely to commit suicide. So these things go together. If you're in a rural area with no jobs, you are much more likely to kill yourself. So there's a lot that could be said about suicide. Suicide is not entirely the fault of the individual. Sometimes people can be driven to suicide. Bob Inc., the Dutch theologian, in his uh, chapter on the Sixth Commandment, quotes some ethicists saying, Society is guilty, but it is the individual who suffers. Now, that's certainly not always the case, but that can be the case with this particular violation of the Sixth Commandment. Suicide is wrong. We know that suicide is wrong. Don't do it. If you're tempted to do it, if somebody you know is tempted to do it, get help. Learn why life is valuable. The second sin, non-criminal form of homicide, is abortion. The voluntary termination of a pregnancy, or that is the killing of the brand new human life within its mother. So this is also a sin, and in some states it is becoming apparently a crime once again. We're going to talk about contraception a little more in three weeks, but most hormonal contraception has an abortifacient component whereby it prevents the implantation of the fertilized egg within the uterus, thus killing the new life. So we'll talk about that. But that, too, most hormonal contraception is a violation of this commandment against homicide. Euthanasia, the word gives me the creeps. The word means literally good death. It is a voluntary uh, form of Basically, the state or the medical establishment chooses to end the life of someone whose life is deemed no longer worth living. So euthanasia is legal in a number of countries, in a number of states within the United States. It, too, is a form of homicide, the killing of a human being unjustly. It should not be legal Anywhere, but if it is legal, it is certainly not something that a Christian should do or allow to be done. Jesus, though, adds to this in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you know that killing is wrong. You've heard it said, don't kill, don't commit homicide. But I'll tell you, I'll add to that, that anger and saying harsh words is a form of murder. To get angry at someone, to be ready to wring their scrawny little neck, as we might say when we're angry, right? it shows us clearly that that anger is the seed of murder. Not just in voluntary manslaughter or in uh, suicide that's been contemplated for 30 seconds and then attempted, but in many, many other cases. To allow yourself to live in a state of anger against anyone, your boss, your authorities, politicians, your church, your pastor, your spouse, 
your children, your parents, to live there is a sin against this commandment. We talked about that last week in terms of your destroying your own life by unleashing bitterness and stress that shortens your life. And you're wanting to, you're indulging the thought all the time of wanting to harm or get even with the person who has made you angry. And, of course, there are plenty of people who nurture anger to the point where they decide they have to have revenge, and they go out and actually attempt a killing. Most people don't do that, but Jesus says anger is evil. Anger is wrong. Don't participate in it because it is a form of homicide. Harsh words. Whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be in danger of the council. Whoever says Raka will be in danger of hellfire. Throwing around insults and derogatory nicknames, racial slurs, anything along these lines is a sin against the Sixth Commandment. For one thing, many of these things can dehumanize their targets. Often slurs have some kind of animal overtone. Uh, What is that saying? If you're an animal, I have the right to kill you because I'm a human being and I'm superior in the order of dominion. And therefore, if I call you a monkey or I call you a sloth or I call you some other kind of prey animal, a mouse or a rat or a weasel or a fox or a coyote, then I feel more justified in contemplating murder over against you. It's not homicide to shoot a coyote. But it is homicide to shoot a human being whom you have dubbed a coyote. So Jesus says, don't indulge in harsh and angry words. These two are steps on the path toward murder. Well, these are the obvious sins that we can think of when it comes to homicide. But there's more. There's more in the sense of willfully choosing death. And this is especially relevant in medical ethics. There's times when people get very sick. This is where euthanasia came from, the morality of sentiment. This poor guy, he's so sick, he's so beat down, the treatment is just ravaging his body. He just feels horrible all the time. He'd so much rather be dead. The right thing to do, the nice thing to do, the merciful thing to do, is to put him out of his misery. Let him choose to die. Now, that is wrong for the Christian. You may not choose death as the goal. Death is never a legitimate goal, except if you are an agent of the justice of the state working out that justice. If you are the executioner, you can choose death as the goal of your actions. Otherwise, the goal of any human action cannot be death. Death is wrong. So in severe sickness or when actively dying, you can't say, I want to die and I'm going to undertake these steps to bring about that conclusion. Now that doesn't mean that you're on the hook to do everything possible to save your life. Let's say, for instance, that you have that terrible bone cancer with awful, awful pain. The treatment 
hurts just as much as the disease, you say, I can't bear this treatment, therefore I am going to cease treatment. Is that a moral choice? Yes, it is. Why? Because you are not choosing death, rather you are rejecting treatment. Now, their side effect of rejecting treatment is going to be death. You know that. But it's a side effect. It's not the thing that you are choosing to do. You are, you know, we can think of... How do you know that it's right to reject treatment? Well, think of occasions when it might be right. Let's say that you're very sick and you're told, well, this treatment is $250,000 around and it will take 18 rounds. And you say, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't afford that. It's always moral to turn down something you can't afford. To say, no, I'm not going to borrow that from you and then die and leave you with the bill. I can't afford it, so I won't purchase it. It's moral to say that. There's nothing wrong with saying, in fact, there's everything right with saying, I can't afford that. And therefore, it can be right to refuse treatment, not so that you can die faster, but so that you can, but just to say, I can't afford the treatment, either financially or in terms of the pain and agony that it causes me. That's okay to say, I can't do this. I can't bear it. You're not choosing death. You are accepting death as a side effect of a legitimate moral course of action. The same goes when giving your life for others. You know, the classic, you're in the foxhole with ten men, the grenade falls in, and you throw your body on top of it to protect the other ten. Now, that is a moral course of action if you're saying, I want to preserve the lives of these ten. If you're saying, I just feel guilty about how long I've survived through this war, I don't think this is right, I need to die, then it's wrong for you to jump on the grenade because you are pursuing death. You may not pursue death. That is what we call suicide. So don't willfully choose death. But if death is a consequence that comes to you from making a moral choice, that is acceptable. And the same is true, of course, in situations of moral hazard when the concentration camp guard says, commit adultery with me or I shoot your family. Or even, I shoot you. And you say, well, I'm sorry, I won't commit adultery with you. And he shoots you. Did you just choose death? No. You chose to do the right thing. The death is not on your conscience. It's on the guard's conscience. However... We tend to abuse this and say, well, I'm not choosing death. I'm just accepting death as a side effect. I want to continue to live my lifestyle where I eat six Big Macs a day and wash them each down with a six-pack of Bud Light and a quart of Ben and Jerry's. And that's just, you know, I'll die happy, as I mentioned last week. No, you can't do that and accept death as the consequence of your gluttony and then say, well, I didn't choose death. I wasn't suicidal when I ate all those Big Macs. No, you weren't suicidal when you ate all those Big Macs. 
but the thing you were doing was in itself faulty. You can't say, well, I'm just accepting death as a side effect if the thing you're doing is evil in itself. The thing you're doing has to be right in itself for death as a side effect to be a legitimate thing that you can rightfully accept. So that goes for gluttony, that goes for promiscuity. Well, I might get monkeypox doing this, but that's okay. No, it's not. The things you have to do to get monkeypox are evil and wrong, therefore, you should not do them. And you can't say, well, I'm just accepting death as a possible consequence. And above all, it goes for laziness. As I just mentioned, the unemployed are twice as likely to commit suicide, over twice as likely. If you're too lazy to work, too lazy to buy food and heat, too lazy to put on your coat when it's cold, too lazy to care for your health when you get sick, you're too lazy to live. And you should expect to die if you indulge in laziness. So these sins and many others that we turn to and say, well, death might follow, but I just accept that. Wrong. Not a fit way for a follower of Christ to live. Well, that's what the commandment says. No homicide. No willful choosing of death. No passively accepting death in the name of continuing your faulty actions. But what doesn't the commandment say? What are some distortions that our society believes or teaches about this commandment? The first one, and I think the one behind much of the COVID lockdown thing that we talked about last week, every human life is absolutely or infinitely valuable. If it saves just one life, it will have all been worth it. We've heard that that phrase. That is not what this commandment says. And in fact, that's a problem with our phrase, the sanctity of life, that tends to suggest to people that you're putting an absolute or an infinite value on life. I mentioned a few moments ago a course of treatment that cost... Uh, what, 18 times 250,000? Well, imagine somebody is dying and you're told, well, this person could be saved for a mere $10 trillion. Half of GDP. If we take everyone or half of the people in the country off what they're doing and put them all on working to save this one life, we could save it. Now, obviously, that's going to kill far more people than saving that one life could possibly warrant. To destroy half of what is produced each year uh, would lead many people to starve and not be able to get their medicine and on and on and on and on. So don't say, don't believe that every human life is infinitely or absolutely valuable. That's not what the commandment says. It doesn't say make all possible endeavors to preserve life. It says to make all lawful endeavors to preserve life. So if you have to steal half of the country's output for a year to keep a person alive, you're not making a lawful endeavor to preserve life. You can't keep the Sixth Commandment, as I said last week, by breaking the other nine. You can't do it. The Ten Commandments hang together. And so... Human life is not infinitely or absolutely valuable. Only God's life is infinitely valuable. Human life is relatively valuable. 
It is more valuable than animal life. It is more valuable than the natural environment. It is more valuable than all of the things that God told us to take dominion over. But it is not more valuable than the law of God. Such that we can say, end justifies the means, preserving life is a good end, therefore I can steal to save life. I can kill to save life. I can dishonor father and mother to save life. I can cease worshiping God to save life. Those things are not legitimate. Well, we've also been told or heard certain voices say that war, self-defense, and the death penalty are always evil based on this commandment. Again, that's not true. The commandment says don't commit homicide. But it doesn't say that war is always wrong. Now, war is almost always wrong. There's no doubt about that. The ethicists have identified half a dozen characteristics, uh, half a dozen hurdles that any proposed war has to clear in order to be a righteous war. What are these six? Well, there has to be a just cause for the war, a right reason to go to war, a proper authority to declare the war, a proportional use of force within the war, a reasonable chance of success, and then some add the sixth one, a just peace after the war. Virtually no war in history meets all six of these criteria, and certainly no war meets it on both sides of the war. But regardless of that, we can say war is not equivalent to homicide, necessarily. It can be. The vast majority of leaders who are going to war are doing so for wrong reasons. But that doesn't mean that war is always wrong. Just because it's almost always wrong does not mean that it's always, across the board, and evil. So, that said, what about self-defense? Thou shalt not kill. If somebody comes and attempts to kill you, are you allowed to kill him? And the answer is yes, but again, you're not approaching self-defense, or you must not approach self-defense with the goal of killing the attacker. Your goal is rather to protect yourself. Now, Six of one, half a dozen of the other? Maybe. I've never been in a position to protect my life from someone who is actively trying to take it. But we can say, from a distant perspective, seeking to kill someone is the definition of homicide. Whereas, seeking to love your neighbor and say, you know, I love you, I want what's best for you, and what's best for you is not to kill me right now. And therefore, I am going to use as much force as I need to to stop you from doing that. Right? Love your neighbor, and that commandment is not suspended even in a situation of self-defense. It's your duty to love your neighbor at that point by preventing him from violating this commandment. Now, there are some neighbors who are so far gone on methamphetamines or uh, other substances that the only way to stop them from taking your life is to take theirs. But again, the goal is not murder with a fight thrown in. 
And as I mentioned last week, the breakdown of law and order in the Old West, the damaged Civil War vets coming out and having gunfights in saloons, in the, all in the name of self-defense, justifying it, that was not about self-defense. That was not about loving your neighbor by preventing him uh, and therefore preventing him from cheating at cards by putting a 45 slug through his brain. Right? That was about, I feel like having a fight today. Genuine self-defense is righteous because it is a way of loving your neighbor even under duress. Even when the neighbor is not loving you. When the neighbor is attacking you and trying to harm or even kill you. So self-defense is legitimate. Yes, when someone seeks to slap you on one cheek, turn the other. Jesus says, but we are also allowed to resist evil. And in fact, we are required to resist evil in terms of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother if, in order to preserve our duties towards those under our charge. Certainly, we are required to protect the little ones that we care for, our children, our students, our employees, our unit, if we're in military leadership, from the, the damaging attacks of those who would seek to harm them. That is self-defense. That is loving your neighbor by taking care of those under your care and stopping the aggressor as much as you can. Well, finally, what about the death penalty? Uh, the Pope, for instance, has suggested that the death penalty in the modern era is utterly incompatible with our notions of justice and decency and should be suspended until further notice. But the death penalty, uh, whatever Francis thinks, is not contrary to this commandment. As the best of the Roman Catholic ethicists hasten to add, as soon as the Pope's words were promulgated, God says, you shall not commit homicide. Uh, this verb is actually used in the, in the entire Bible only to describe unlawful killing of a human being. It is an exact synonym for our word homicide. Except in two places in Numbers, where the word is used to describe the application of the judicial penalty at the hands of the state. In a phrase that could be translated, you shall kill the killer, or you shall homicide the homicider. As if Moses is telling us, this word means unlawful killing. However, for the sake of a pun, for the sake of a play on words, to make it very graphically clear, I'm going to use the word to describe the long arm of the state executing justice on a murderer. To say that this is not homicide. You shall commit this action. You shall homicide the one who committed homicide. That is how you do justice. If goods are stolen... Make the thief restore. But if life is taken, there is no restoration of life by a human being. And therefore, you take life from the one who took life. So the Bible is very clear about this. The death penalty is right in principle. And I would just add that the death penalty is fairly applied far more often than either self-defense 
or just war theory. Rulers who are looking for an excuse to fight are happy to co-opt ethicists who will tell them, yes, this war that you're thinking of is a just war. People who are ready to have a, a knockdown drag out in the local bar on Saturday night are ready to think of anything as self-defense. But by and large, our courts are actually very careful to apply the death penalty in cases only where it is warranted. So finally, come to the, the last thing that's charged this commandment, which is that God himself breaks it. We've heard this about the other commandments. God broke this commandment, and exhibit A is the cross of Christ. God killed his son. God committed cosmic child abuse, and therefore we reject the deity who would do such a thing. What do we say in response to that? Well, we admit, yes, God poured out his wrath on his innocent son and brought about his death. That's true. But he didn't do it on his son as innocent. He did it on his son considered as guilty. His son considered as the one who was carrying the sins of the world. Jesus was crucified, and that insofar as God did it, the taking of Christ's life was lawful. It was a righteous penalty against sin. Jesus personally was not a sinner who deserved death. But officially, in terms of his office, he was the second Adam, the representative and head of the human race, and especially of his chosen ones. And therefore, as such, as the second Adam, he took upon himself the guilt of the first Adam, and in fact the guilt of the human race, or of his chosen ones, and therefore deserved death in their place. Jesus was not an abused child. He was an adult, for one thing. In fact, he was the most mature individual in the history of the world. As an adult with full knowledge, he consented to bear our sin and to die for it. Right, the cross shows God's ultimate and final approval of the death penalty. That's true. We admit that. Rather than using that as a stick to beat God with and saying, oh, God is immoral, he approves the death penalty, we say, no, God is fundamentally and fully moral. He insists on the death penalty for those who sin. But he is willing to credit that sin, to impute that sin to his sinless son in order to save a sinful people. God consented to do it this way because he loved us and because this was the only way that sinners could become righteous. So if you have an abortion, a suicide attempt, an assisted suicide an act or a lifetime of gluttony or any of these other sins that we've talked about today in your past, don't give up and say, well, I guess that's it. I've sinned against life far too long to ever be right now. No, 
These commandments were revealed to Moses the murderer. These commands are kept by God. Jesus took away sin. Let him take away your sins against life. Sins are given, or these commandments are given to people who came out of Egypt, freed from the law's condemnation, simultaneously given power to obey the law. So walk in the freedom, the life that Jesus gave. God keeps this commandment. And through the death of his son, he preserves life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that Jesus lives and that in him we live. Help us to share that life with one another, to indulge or to to perform all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the lives of others. Help us to stand against all taking away of our own life or other people's lives unjustly. Father, keep us especially from anger and harsh words, the gateways to this sin of homicide. Help us, Father, to be a pro-life people. We ask these things in the name of your living Son, Jesus our Lord. Amen.